I want to thank you for the privilege of being with you. It's been just great and, and uh, life-giving to me. I saw some friends who are here from Seattle. I, in a way, I get to be more of a pastor when I travel and speak at things like this than I do in my own church, which is so large that it is at times hard to get to know people. So I've loved our conversation around tables and uh, in the Cal Redwoods when I ran into some of you uh, geocaching while I was out on a run, all that stuff. Just delightful, so thank you so much. Now, if we go to the next slide, tonight, or this morning, we're looking at the final element, uh, fish and fire. The story is the story of Peter's restoration in John uh, chapter 21. So please take a moment to pray with me, and then we'll begin here. Father, I want to thank you uh, for this weekend, and thank you for the way that your Holy Spirit has been working in our lives, knitting hearts together in fellowship, also... uh, opening our hearts by virtue of being away from normal responsibilities so that we can receive from you in the beauty of creation, in the beauty of fellowship, in the beauty of uh, the text that you revealed, in the mystery of the text, in the challenges as we bring before you our fears and our anxieties and our marriages and our brokenness. We just want to give you thanks. And we want to pray, Father, that what you've begun in hearts that you would continue and that even this morning you'd equip us to be people who do continue. And so for that, we'll thank you as we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So I'm going to begin here by asking this question. Are you safe? Are you a safe person? And here's what I mean by that. If your pastor made a mistake, visiting a wrong website, uh, a big fight with his wife, saying something he regretted, uh, are you a safe person? Could he come to you, he or she, could they come to you and speak with you? Are you safe? If your son made a mistake, he's out drinking too much, and then as a teenager, and he's riding his bike home, and then uh, he wakes up in bed the next morning, and his bike isn't at home, and he doesn't know where his bike is, but he knows he passed out, and somebody brought him home. Are you safe as a dad? If your wife threw a tantrum or uh, got caught in an unhealthy moment or made some unwise financial choices or treated your children in a way that you thought inappropriate and she knew it, uh, are you safe for her to talk to? So listen, I'm not talking here about addictive behavior on the part of somebody. Or, or chronic behavior layered in denial. I'm talking about the one-off that all of us do where we fail, we know it, we regret it. And I'm asking the question, are you safe? Can people come to you and find grace? And let me tell you why this matters. Because you and I were made in God's image. And here's the reality, God is safe. I can come to God if I'm made in God's image, then my calling is to be a person of safety for just those kind of conversations with my spouse, with my children, with my coworkers, with, with, uh, with my pastor. If I'm made in God's image, I need to be safe. Because without a safe place, here's what happens. Without a safe place, the one-off doesn't stay a one-off. If I, if I can't confess my sins, I can't be healed. So then the one-off becomes a pattern, and then the pattern becomes an addiction, and then the addiction becomes a cover-up, 
And then we're drifting farther and farther away from the very heart of God, and we don't even know it. And so uh, we end up ourselves unsafe, and we live hypocritical lives because we feel as if no one is safe, and we got to break this pattern, man. So today's session is simple. A, God is safe. But B, it's in us to not believe God or anyone else is safe. And so we spend our lives running, right? God is safe, but we don't buy it, so we run. We got we to gotta change that. So we understand that God is safe and believe God to be safe. And then in the safety that God is, develop habits of running to God over and over and over again. Because if we don't nail that, whatever commitments you make uh, this weekend will evaporate by next Friday. And here's why. Because you will fail. I don't mean to be the bearer of bad, bad news. I'm just telling you. You'll fail. I'll fail. But here's the good news. You'll fail God is safe. So you can go, you'd always go home, always. Now, if I could wish you one thing, it would be that you would run into the arms of God over and over and over again. That's where we're going this morning. But to go there, we're going to look at a story, a famous story for many of you who are, who are um, steeped in the faith, but I've had the privilege of knowing that there are some of you here who even yesterday made your first time commitment to Christ. So let's give a hand for those who are brand new to the faith. Welcome them. I met a guy yesterday. Uh, his, fr- his friends bought him a Bible at the bookstore, and he's here with a brand new Bible. What a gift, man. So not, and just remember, not everybody knows the stories, right? So we're going we're gonna to share the story this morning that comes at the end of the last gospel. So John uh, and John chapter 21. And here's the funny thing. Uh, it appears when you read John that it ends in chapter 20. And it looks like that's the end of the book. And then it's almost like these days uh, when a movie ends and the trailer starts, I always want to turn it off. And my wife goes, don't turn it off. And then I, you know, reluctantly sit there. And then it turns out there's more movie. At the, in the, embedded in the trailer. That's this, okay? So there's, there's more to say. So Jesus is risen from the dead, and he shows up to the disciples, all this stuff. It's all good, it's all good. Happy ending, except then chapter 21 is this crazy story. So in chapter 21, there's this critical link that explains the life of Peter, and there's kind of uh, in the Gospel of John before and after snapshots of Peter. Here's Peter before. Uh, adjectively. Uh, Arrogance, comparison, presumption, short temper, fear, betrayal. Uh, Here's the after snapshot in Acts. Boldness, humility, love, courage, obedience, uh, fruitful ministry that culminated ultimately with martyrdom. And we got to be careful here not to paint with too broad a brush in this before and after model. Because Peter, like the rest of us, was never a one-dimensional figure. Over here, he was terrible. Now he's perfect. It's not that. But there is a transformation. Something happened. And many people attribute it entirely to the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. And while the Holy Spirit is a factor, uh, this story is gigantic in Peter's transformation. This story in John chapter 21. So while the Holy Spirit is essential to our transformation, all is essential 
is that we learn that God is safe so that we can come back to God again and again and again with confession, receiving forgiveness, and then we ourselves becoming safe people for one another so that churches, and you, I hope you understand what I mean by this, so that churches can look more like bars and less like churches. Do you understand? Like more authentic and less hypocritical, more confessional and less uh, uh, covering up. We got, we got to move in that direction. And the only way it will happen is if we become safe people. And we'll only become safe people if we ourselves have experienced the safety of God. And so we get that in, this, in these movements here that we see in, in, in Peter, beginning with the first movement, from autonomy to dependency, the experience of uh, uh, God's power. So here's the thing. Uh, I'll read verse 1. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed up in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas and Nathaniel uh, and two other disciples were together, and Peter says to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll also come with you. And they went out and they got in a boat, and that night they caught nothing. So uh, here's where it starts. What you see here, Peter's done. Remember he said, uh, when Jesus was foretelling his arrest and all of the crucifixion, uh, he said, all you're going to flee. And some of you know the story. Peter goes, really? Not all. Like, everyone's going to flee except me. I'm going to be, Jesus, I'm with you, man. 100% solidarity. I'll die with you. And then Jesus is, I mean, he kind of smiles. He says, oh, yeah, really? No, no you won't. Uh, the rooster will crow three times or one or six, depending on how you view your Bible, whatever. But here's the point. Before the rooster crows X, you're going to deny me X, right? And and then, uh, of course, that's exactly what happens. Uh, uh, Jesus arrested in the garden. Peter tries to take a swipe at a guy, cuts off his ear, Jesus heals the guy, then Peter knows this isn't going to end well, and, and he runs away. He runs away. And then he, he, he's hanging out in this garden uh, outside the building in which the mock trial of Jesus is occurring, and three times he's asked by some different people, uh, not just asked, but kind of accusingly asked, uh, hey, aren't you, aren't you also a, like a follower of Jesus? And the first time he says, no, I didn't even know the man. Second time, he gets a little angry. Third time, he swears. He says, damn it, I'm telling you, I never knew him. And then uh, the rooster crows. And then he realizes that everything that Jesus said about him is true. And then he's like this, yep, I am hopeless. And he, it says he went out weeping. Been there? I mean, I have. Yeah. Where, in spite of my best intentions at camp, as soon as I get home, I'm back in a, so so often in life, I feel like I'm in a video game, and life is just coming at me. You know? Get home. Tonight, for me, get home. Interview. Not at three, but at five. Interview at five. Church at 7, after interview at 8.15, breakfast with a candidate at 8 tomorrow morning, 
teaching team at nine, meet with my lead pastors at 10, meet with my executive pastor at 11, lunch with one of my staff members, all the way through till eight o'clock tomorrow night, and then rinse and repeat Tuesday. And by Tuesday night, I want to kill myself, right? (laughs) And all the kumbaya stuff here is gone. I mean, you guys understand. You know how it works. So, we're, there's a, like Peter's in us, and we've got great intentions, but we're going to blow it, all right? So, here's the good news. As we move, we're going to learn to move from autonomy to dependency. And in this, I want you to see, Jesus is going to be the one who initiates restoration with Peter. Why? Because humans don't run to God. We go all the way out of the garden, and what do we do? We run away. And until our whole being is reframed so that we understand that God is safe, we're going to continue to run away. So Jesus, if Jesus doesn't restore, then Peter's done. But the, here's the good news, and this is what makes the gospel gospel. God chases us down, Right? So I need to let God do the same thing with me that God did with Peter, and, I, and, and then I need to do the same thing with others. Romans 12, 18 says, look, forgive as you've been forgiven. Become a safe place because God is a safe place to you. So all of us, in our, you know, all of us can find people like Peter who've let us down. We can, we can all flash words across the screen of our mind that uh, people have spoken that are hurtful, just like Peter, and then we all know words uh, from people who said they'd be faithful and weren't. We all know people who failed us. We know that we have failed other people. But what drops in that mix that's restorative is the fact that Jesus is chasing after us saying, look, it's okay. Just come back. And then the thing I want you to see here is that Jesus teaches for Peter dependency by the experience of fruitlessness, Right? So Peter's already seen the Lord, most likely, from John 20, in his resurrected state. But though he's seen the Lord, he doesn't feel worthy of being in God's story because he knows what he did. So, so he's like this, I'm going fishing. So this, this is what he's saying. This is so important for all of us to hear. Look, I tried, like, I went to camp, I made, I made some commitments, They evaporate pretty quickly. I guess it just isn't in me, so at least I can write code. I'm going to do that. At least I can run a meeting. At least I can be a project manager. Uh, You know, at least I can, at least I can, whatever I can at least do. And so then I'm just going to do that. And here's what happens, especially as guys, though women are not immune to this problem, but we guys, we put our identity so much in what we can do that when our best attempts to to, uh, move into God's story are, are pocked by failure, uh, <laughs> we default to the one thing we know how to do, which is, for many of us, our jobs, and we're good at it. So, so that's Peter. Man, I go fishing. An attempt to get out of the realm of failure and into the realm of success by focusing on what I do best. All of us in the room have little shelters in our lives that enable us to feel good about things even when we shouldn't even when the issues of the day should be creating in us new kinds of growth and change. I mean, for me, uh, when church stuff isn't going well, 
it's, it's even a little bit harder because that's also God's stuff, right? And then, so for me, my, my little shelter is, okay, you know what? Here's the one thing I know how to do. I can split wood because we burn wood and that's how we heat our home. And so I've got a gigantic pile of wood because the one thing I know how to do. And yet even there, there were, there were some moments Early this summer, when I was in a bad space spiritually, I go, okay, I'm going to go out and split wood. And the wood that was there was so filled with knots that I could not split the wood. And then there's a wedge. Do you know the wedge? I don't want to get into this too much for you guys. But there's a wedge that is like bomb-proof. If you hammer that thing into wood, it always, the wedge always wins. Not this time. The wedge got stuck in a big log. <laughs> and I couldn't get the wedge out. So that now I can't. I can't even split wood. That's Peter. Are you with me? Oh, yeah, I know what I'm going to do. Like I, can't, like, I can't preach, and I can't be faithful to Jesus, but I can fish. Boom, out he goes. And, of course, um, don't you love this? This is a great story. I'm going fishing, and the other disciples, who also are discouraged, yeah, we'll come with you. So they went out and they got in the boat and they do what they do. This is their living. And they, they spent them all night fishing. They caught nothing. The wedge is in the log. What are you going to do now, right? But, this cracks me up. When the day was breaking, Jesus is standing on the beach, but it's still dark, so they, they see a figure on the beach, but they don't know who it is. And they're probably, you know, because if they're fishing, they're probably at least 100 yards out, maybe 150. So Jesus, Jesus shouts from the shore, children, and I love that too. <laughs> Not hey guys, but children, children, you don't have any fish, do you? I mean, it's kind of a question, but not really, right? <laughs> He's saying, oh, you're going to go back to that thing you do so well. You're going to, oh, you're going to go home and you're going to, you're going to do code or you're going to do CrossFit and you're going, to, you're going to be killing it. Hey, how's that working out for you? Like, is that, are you really finding a lot of meaning there? Are you really living the life for which you're created? How are you doing? Children, you don't have any fish, do you? And they said, uh, no. So then Jesus says to them, cast the net on the other side of the boat and you'll find a catch. Now, this is interesting because when Peter first encountered Christ, this exact same thing happened. And if you don't know the story, it's in Luke. But when Jesus, when Jesus called Peter as a disciple, he'd been fishing. It was hopeless. Jesus said to him, cast it on the other side. At that time, in that story, Peter's hysterical because he's like this. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but this is what he says. Well, listen, I'm a fisherman, and I know how to fish, and I'm fishing, and I, I struck out, and I'm telling you, if there's no fish on the left side of the boat, I know there's no fish on the right side of the boat. But, very sarcastically, he's like this, but since you're the rabbi, since you're the rabbi, okay, we'll give it a shot. And he puts, then he puts the thing in on the other side, and there's so many fish, the boat sinks when they bring, the, when they bring it in. And then Peter just runs to shore, and he says, my Lord and my God. Like, wow, this guy is master of the universe. He's not just a spiritual teacher. He's in total control. 
So you don't have any fish, do you? They go, no. He says, just as he did in the initial call, cast on the other side, you'll find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, let's just take a moment here and laugh again at the humanity of the Bible because uh, John is the, is the disciple who Jesus loved. And this is, book is written by John. So uh, if you think that these guys post-resurrection are done one-upping one another, you don't read your Bible as a human, right? So the disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And then when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he, Peter did what Peter does. He threw himself into the water and he swam to shore. And the other disciples came in the boat, uh, dragging this net uh, full of fish. And they got out on dry land and they saw a chart. Don't you love this? They, they get to shore. Jesus has built a fire and he's already cooking. Jesus already had been fishing and caught fish. So not only did they strike out, but when they come with fish, Jesus is like this, thanks, but I don't need your fish. I have better fish already, right? So, so uh, they get there, and all of this, all of this is trying to teach us that what we learned last night is true, apart from me, you can do nothing. Like every time, every time I failed, not just, I'm not just talking about moral failure or sin, but look, there is nowhere where I can, I can build some kind of identity that is ever going to make my life what my life is intended to be. Nothing that isn't infused with Christ will be fulfilling. Nothing. I mean, if you're called to write code, write code. But never make that your shelter, right? If you're a great salesman, then go kill it. But that's not your identity, right? So we want to learn here that our identity, we, we can never hide behind, you know, our vocation. I mean, you try, but you'll never be fulfilled. That's this story, right? And, and, and so uh, Peter here is learning at the beginning dependency because he sees, oh, yeah, Jesus, he's still powerful, and I'm still hopeless, even fishing. So I can't, I can't escape spiritual stuff into, quote-unquote, secular stuff, find identity there. No, God's not going to make, I will not be satisfied there either. So then I, move, I need to move then, as Peter needs to move, from arrogance uh, to humility through the experience, this is mistyped, through the experience of forgiveness. Not from the experience of uh, humility, through the experience of forgiveness. So here's what happens. They, 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 get, a, they get to the shore, and there's, there's, uh, a, they've caught 153 fish, which is intended to say to you, this is, story is not a fable, like this is real with detail, 153 fish, okay? And then uh, Jesus says, hey, I already have some fish cooking, come have breakfast, right? So I just love the language here. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And then Jesus came, he took bread, and he gave him bread, he gave him fish, 
And then, next verse, they finished breakfast. So, just live into this for a minute with me. Like, I stole your stuff, all right? And, and, and then I saw you, and I felt so terrible that I ran away, and you tracked me down, and then, and then you invited me out for a meal. And, then, and not only that, but you said, I'm buying. And now, here, Larry and I were sitting at a meal, and I stole this stuff. I, st- I don't know what I stole. I, st- I stole your laptop and your iPad and your phone, right? And you know I stole it, and I know that you know. And, and you're down, now here we are sitting at some steakhouse somewhere, and I'm eating this prime meal with you, and I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for the conversation, right? Like, hey, dude, you stole my stuff. I want it back. The whole, the, the whole meal ensues, not a word from Jesus. Like, if I were writing a story, and I'm imposing like a human construct on it, this is exactly how it goes. Hey, you want to have some fish? Hey, come on, guys, come around the fire. Let's have, look, I caught some fish even before you did, so come and, and eat here, and now we're eating the fish, and then if, here's Jesus. Hey, uh, do you guys remember that thing that I said about uh, uh, you were going to deny me? Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, and when I said you were going to deny me, what? Remind me. Tell me again. What did you say? Oh, yeah, yeah, no. You know, we said, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, Jesus. We said we'd never deny you. Oh, that's right. That, I think you're right. That's what you said. Now, let's think this through. I was in the trial, and then as they're hauling me out, I heard a rooster crow, and Peter, you were weeping and running away. Like, why was that? And then, and then here, this would be Peter. Yeah, I denied you. And then this would be Jesus in our world. This would be Jesus. Well, I thought so. Uh, and you know what? Like, if I'm going to build a team, I need, and I, well, I hear this, if I'm going to build a team, you know what I need? I need faithful men. By the way, good luck finding any, <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> but we say it all the time. I need faithful men. You blew it, so sorry, I'm starting over. Like, that's our script, isn't it? Why is that our script? Because we hear it all the time. We hear it at work. We sometimes play that game with our spouses. We certainly play that game with our kids at various times. So we live in a world that says, you know, perform and get the, get the carrot or fail, get the stick. And so now if I'm Peter, I'm just waiting for the stick. And instead we eat the entire meal, not a word. And then when Jesus finally says something, what does he say? End of the meal. They're done eating. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? This is interesting, too, because he calls him Simon, not Peter. And the name Peter, we sang this song earlier, on Christ the solid what? Rock, I stand. Peter, Peter means the rock, like immovable, faithful. He's not calling him Peter. What's he calling him? Simon. And what does he say? He says, Simon, do you love me more than these? Now, we don't even know what the these are. People speculate. 
Uh, do you love me more than fish? Because, I mean, you did go back to that. Or, you know, I know, Peter, how you like to, you know, put yourself on the org chart right up next to me. So I'm asking you, do you love, you, do you love me more than these guys? It could be that, too. Because Peter likes to compare. Either way, this is what he says. Do you love me? And the word he uses is this Greek word agape. Do you, do you love me like spiritually, supernaturally, more than these? And Peter's response is, uh, Lord, I phileo you, which means uh, I love you, but like it, this is a friendship. So Peter is so profoundly self-aware here that he... he a, he doesn't say, oh, yeah, man, I love you more than anybody. He won't say that anymore because it's not true. And he can't even say that he loves him agape because that also maybe isn't, isn't true. Do you love me more than these? Now, this is, what, this is just, for me, off the map stunning, unhuman, right? Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I agape you. Not more than these. Oh, excuse me. I fillet owe you. Like, I'm a, I have a friendship love for you. You know that I have a friendship love for you. Not, not a God by love and not more than these. And here's Jesus. Then tend my lambs. Boom. You guys, I can never read that without getting chills. You know why? Because here's what Jesus is saying. Uh, like, are you the most faithful person on the planet? Will you never leave me? Will you always kill it? Will you always be faithful? Will you be faithful more than anyone else? Will your love always be supernatural? Essentially, his answer is what? No. But I will try and follow you as a friend. And here's Jesus. That's enough. I want you. Tend my lambs. Is that not like... The best news on the planet, that in spite of our failures, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of letting him down, God still wants us on God's team. Then he asks again, do you, not, this time not in any comparison way, do you even agape me? Not more than anything. Do you just have that kind of love? No, I don't. I only have phileo love. Then feed my sheep. And then he asks him a third time, do you phileo me? Are you sure that you really are a friend of mine? And he says, yes, you are. And so then Jesus gives him a charge in the context of the question. And I want you to hear this. The charge, tend my lambs, feed my sheep, shepherd my flock. The charge is the word of forgiveness. Because here's what he's saying. You are still on my team. I'm not like all of humanity. Because my love for you and my desire for you to participate in the work that I'm doing in the world was never predicated on your performance, ever. So get over yourself and learn that when you fail, all you do is turn back and turn back and turn back. The door is always open. The light is always on. We, get, we have to learn that lesson. Now, some of you know this story, so forgive me because if you've been here before, you've maybe heard it. But I, I just want to share it because I began to learn this grace from my dad who, who died when I was young and when he was only 53. 
And, and what I learned from my dad about grace and forgiveness taught me about the Father heart of God. And it, the, all this happened in the context of baseball. Uh, I played Little League, and I'm about, I think, 13 or 12 or so when, when this event unfolds. I'm going to be pitching in a Little League game in, in Fresno, and uh, my dad was a school principal and then a school superintendent in a small district outside of Fresno. And he's going to come and pick me up and take me to uh, the game. And the game starts, I think, at 6, and I'm supposed to be there at 5.15, and he's supposed to be home at 5. And, and I want to have a good, you know, warmed-up arm before I go, so I'm throwing the baseball in the house, into the sofa that's right below a big picture window. And I'm just, you know, I'm just warming up. And then it's five, and then it's five after five, and it's 10 after five, and I'm getting a little nervous. It's supposed to be there at 5.15. And, and then I, I guess because I'm nervous, I sort of throw a little bit harder, a little bit harder, a little bit harder. And we had, a ba- we had a rule in the house. I mean, our house didn't have a lot of rules. Like, eat with a fork was a rule. You know, <laughs> don't throw food, you know. Uh, when you go to bed, don't read in bed, different, a few things. One of the things was don't throw a baseball in the house. It was just a rule, right? But I'm totally violating the rule because I'm warming up. And my dad pulls in, and I'm like, okay, one last kind of, you know, Sandy Koufax fastball, like an inch high, boom, you know, shatters, totally shatters the window. And... Dad, you know, walks in, and there, I mean, there's no way to lie, even. I mean, this is, this is, there's no alibi. I got my glove on, I got my uniform on. The ball is still spinning in a pile of glass on the patio in the back, and there's glass on the sofa, you know. And so, I'll never forget it. I didn't say anything. I just started to cry, threw the glove on the ground, ran in my bedroom, locked the door, crawled into bed, put a pillow over my head, I'm weeping. Now let's just step out of the story for a minute and ask, where did that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. Just go back to Genesis 2, and you know exactly where it came from. Because, look, when Adam sinned, what does he say? Uh, when, when, don't you love this? First question in the Bible uh, is God seeking you. That's the first question in the Bible. Where are you? Now, and here's what we think. Oh, I know why he's asking, because he wants to come and kill us. <laughs> but that's not true. But what does Adam say? He says, well, yeah, I'll tell you where I am. I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, so I what? Ran and hid. I can look back now. I could write theology on running into the bedroom, because that's part of the human nature, right? Shame is the bigger problem than the sin, because it pulls us out of God's game. So I'm in there laying in the bed. You know, dad comes lying on the door. Hey, open it up. I said, no, go, go away, you know. No, he's pounding. Open the door. I go, there's no need. I know. I'm grounded until I'm 30, right? <laughs> like I did, it was wrong. I'm sorry. There's no fixing it. That's it. It's over. He goes, it's not over. He picks the lock. He, you know, 
comes in. He's, he, let's get back in the living room, you know. And, he, he, and then he goes, it's a window. You know, how much is it going to cost? Oh, I have no idea. And then he gives me some estimate, like 100 bucks or whatever it's going to be back then in the 70s. And he goes, and you're going to pay for it. And I was like, I am dead. I really am. I go, I'm 13. Like, how's this going to happen? He goes, look, I'm going to make a list of chores. Every chore is, is going to be some money, and you're going to pay it down. You're going to work this off. And, this is, and then this is what he says. This is never going to happen again. And he looks at me. He goes, right? It's never going to happen again. I go, right. It's never going to happen again. And then this is, this, my head explodes. This is what he said. So get your glove. I said, what? He says, get your glove. Let's go. You're pitching tonight. I'm not pitching. Like, aren't I grounded? He says, no, it's done. It's forgiven. You, you, you confessed it. And then this is what he said. He said, did you break a window? Yeah. Was it wrong? Yeah. And then, this is my dad. But Richard, some things never change. You're still my son. And I still love you. And I'm still proud of you. And you're still pitching. Look, that's the best sermon I've ever heard on the Father heart of God, right there. I wa- if it were up to me, I'd run. And my dad said, no, you know what? You can run to your dad. You can run to your dad because this is what my dad taught me. <laughs> your dad is safe. Your dad is safe. Yeah, and your dad is safe. Maybe not your human dad, but I'm telling you, your dad is safe. That's this story. So he's forgiven, and then he needs to learn, finally, obedience. So he said, uh, Jesus says to Peter, look, I, I, I'm telling you now, when Peter, now that you're going to follow me, when you were younger, you used to uh, get dressed and walk wherever you wanted, but now when you grow old, the day will come, you'll stretch out your hand, and someone will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And uh, Jesus was actually prophesying Peter's ultimate death by martyrdom. And then when he spoke of this, he simply says, so follow me, follow me. So Peter here learns that following Jesus is going to require him, uh, require of him more than mere sentiment. It's going to require of him uh, obedience. And so look, uh, we turn back to God, we receive forgiveness, and, not but, as if it's a negative, but and, we're given then the privilege of following Jesus. And then to the extent that I step into that following, I'm now fully in a story of hope that God wants to write through me in the world. And then here's what will happen. I'll fall off the wagon again. But fine, I can, look, I can always come home because my dad is safe. So the quicker I come home, the quicker I'm back in God's story. And then I'll fall off again, and then I'll come back again, and then I'll fall off again. And after I've fallen off three or four times, Satan will say, look, you keep falling off, why don't you just stay off? And then I'll say, no, I won't stay off because there's only one place I want to be, and that's in God's story. So I'm going back to God, back to God, back to God, 10,000 times I'm going back to God. Because that's what it means to be forgiven. 
And that's what it means to be obedient. Now, the other thing that we have to be wary of in this, really wary of, is, that, is the risk of comparison. Because uh, when Jesus says, follow me, of course, the right answer would have, would have been for Peter to say, yep, I'm all in, where are you going? Instead, he looks at the other guy, the disciple who Jesus loved, right? And he says, hey, Jesus says to me, you're Jesus, Jesus says, follow, follow me. I go, what about Larry? You told me I'm going to have to go places I don't want to go. Is he going to have to go places he doesn't want to go? Because if he's not going places he doesn't want to go, I don't want to go places I don't want to go. And, and, and if, he, if he's making six figures, I don't want to make five. And, and if he's pastoring a church at 3,500, I don't want to pastor a church at 300. And, and if he gets to live in the sun, I don't want to live in stinking rain in Seattle. Like, what about him? And here's what Jesus said. Hey, if I want Larry to live to be 2,000 years old and a millionaire, that's my prerogative. Quit worrying about other people. Do you understand? Last night we saw it. Abide in me, you'll bear fruit. But watch, remember, the nature and timing and scope of the fruit, entirely God's prerogative. So when you read Hebrews 11, and you read about people who had great faith, some people shut the mouths of lions. Others were sawn in two. And here's the thing, that is not a menu from which you get to choose. I'll take the shutting the mouths of lions, please. Thank you. <laughs> no, no. Uh, when we're in God's story, we're in God's story. And some are martyred at 22, and some live to be 95. And some make six figures, and some make two figures. And, and, and some get to be married 40 years to the same spouse, and others lose a spouse to cancer, <laughs> my friend over here. And others lose a spouse because a marriage implodes for reasons beyond their control. And some kids all follow Jesus and some kids rebel. Forget it. You follow me. You're not trying to curate an Instagram life so you be the envy of everyone. That's not it. You just follow Jesus and leave the results in, in, in Jesus' hands. So... Uh, this is what happened, and Peter begins to follow Jesus, and when he begins to follow Jesus, uh, he changes the world. He becomes the, 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 the leader of the church in the book of Acts. In his first sermon, 3,000 are saved. But whether 3,000 are saved, or, or, or 300 or none, or ultimately, as what happens, he's arrested and executed, crucified upside down, for Peter, it's all the same. It's all following, right? And he learned to follow because his faith became strengthened every time he returned and returned and returned. Every turning to Christ, as I said last night, a turning away from something else. I'm turning away from my cowardice, Jesus, I'm turning back to you. Then that's he turned. That's what you need to do when you go home. It's good to have intent, but it's good to be realistic enough too, guys, to know that in spite of our intent, there, we get hit by avalanches of, of difficulties and challenges. And we get discouraged, and we say things we regret. 
I'm just here to say to you, keep turning back because <laughs> your dad is safe. Your dad is safe. Every time I come here, I'll just close with this. Every time I come here, during one of the worship sets, I go and sit in the front row or the back over there, the far right, because uh, I sat there when I was 12 and heard this guy speak here and bought his book. John Hunter was the guy. And, uh, and, and then literally 20 years after buying his book, when I was 32 years old, I called uh, Cape and Ray Hall in England where John Hunter was the speaker. And I said, hey, I bought a book 20 years ago by a guy named John Hunter, uh, and I want to have him come speak at my church. And uh, that book impacted my life. Could he come and speak? No, you know, he doesn't really travel anymore. By now, he was in his 80s. He doesn't really travel anymore, but um, there's a torture school in Canada. Call there. And I called there, and a guy came and spoke, and we became friends, and he, he invited me up to speak at his school there, and then I, I met the founder of the Torchbearers, Major Ian Thomas, who then took me under his wing, mentored me, and I began teaching in all these Bible schools. The ministry that God has given me today uh, came out of sitting right back there when I was 12 years old. So here's what happens. Like, these guys were singing this morning, and I'm sitting back there, and without fail, I go, wow, look what God has done. But not because of me, in spite of me. Because between 12 and 60, a few swear words, <laughs> a, few, uh, uh, a few too many drinks once or twice, a few, a few moments of profound discouragement, a few moments in my marriage when we weren't sure. Whatever. It was never intended to be a story about how great we are. What does it say in 1 Corinthians 1 again? Oh, that's right. Consider your calling. Not many wise. Not many mighty. Uh, not many supremely qualified to run Fortune 500 companies. But God has chosen the foolish and the weak so that people will go not look how amazing Dave Burns is or look how amazing Richard is or look how amazing John is, but rather people know us well enough to go, look how amazing God is. He uses even us. That's the story God wants to write through you guys, a story of ongoing transformation. And we, we can look back 10 years from now when maybe we gather here again at the retreat and we go, look what God has done. Not because we were so great, but because we did the one thing we needed to do, keep going home. And we kept going home because dad is safe. Please pray with me. Father, thanks for, thanks for the weekend and thanks for the time. And particularly, above all else, thank you that you're safe. You're holy, but you're safe. We're the ones who, who believe the lie that you're mad all the time and we're running. Teach us to run to you. And we'll thank you for all the healing and cleansing and transformation that awaits as we follow. You pray in the name of Christ, who is our hope. Amen.